I'm Daniel, and you're listening to Time in the Word on Faith FM. Today I'm here with Natalie, and we're going to be continuing our study of John, and getting into John chapter 2, verse 1 down to 12. How are you going today, Natalie? Yeah, not too bad. How are you? Well, thank you. Would you like to open with prayer for us today? Sure. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to get into your word, to dig deeper into the truth that you have for us, truth about you and truth for how you'd have us live our lives. We ask that you guide our hearts and minds as we read today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you very much. How would you like to read? We'll get straight into the text. How would you like to read John chapter 2 and verse 1 down to 3 for us? Sure. I'm reading from the New King James Version. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. You know, just reading this, I've never really noticed it before, but uh, there's a real expectation that Jesus' mother has of him there, that Mary has of Jesus, isn't there? There's a real sort of inference. You ought to do something about this. Yeah, it's interesting because... Why? He hasn't done anything to this point aside from, you know, earlier spending time at the temple when he was very young. But, you know, why does she come to him and kind of, and why should it concern him? It almost seems to me like she's trying to force his hand and trying to get him to, you know, begin to to do the things that have been prophesied about him. I imagine that, uh, you know, she would have been waiting and hoping for him to begin to reveal himself as the Messiah. And it seems that he's, he's trying, she's trying to force him to, to do that. I guess I sort of have to wonder, I mean, she knows who he is. She knows what his journey was, how he came to be. But I sort of wonder, did she have kind of an idea of how much power was in this person, in her son? Well, I'm going to just keep on reading. And uh, from verse 4, my Bible, which is a New Living Translation, says, Dear woman, that's not my problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Verse 6 says, standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. What's really interesting about this, and I was actually right on this spot just a few weeks ago. And uh, in fact, there's a church that was built right over the top of this house. It was because this um, this home has a history in, in the scripture. Um, the early Christians used to worship there. And then the Byzantines built a church on top of it, and now it's a Catholic church on top of it. And there's an excavation beneath that Catholic church that has the, you can see the original house where this miracle happened. And actually what they have there is one of the stone water jars that was in that house. And it's a big thing and it's very heavy. But you know what it was actually used for was the washing of feet. So I want you to keep in mind that this is foot water, right? So this is why this this story is actually going to get a little bit funny. Would you like to keep reading for us? Maybe from verse... Uh, 7 down to 9. Sure. And Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it had come from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. Now, I want you to notice that that really, the reason why that's funny is that the servants know that they've just drawn foot water and given it to the master of ceremonies to drink and he's drunk it and it's turned into wine. And anyway, that's just a funny little moment. I don't know if you ever noticed that there before. No, I didn't even know that that was a thing. So that's quite interesting. Mm. Yeah, well, what's sort of cool is that Jesus does sort of do what his mother's asked him to do here as well. Like we just talked about before that his mother seems to be pushing his hand a little bit and he tells her clearly, he says, look, my time hasn't come. 
he puts up a boundary and says, you're not the one, even though you're my mum and even though I love you, you're not the one that has the right to tell me when I have to do God's mission. But having said that, once he sets that boundary, he actually goes on to do what he's being asked to do, which it's sort of a funny moment. I'm not quite sure how to reconcile it. Have you ever thought about that before? I guess what just sort of occurred to me was this idea of Jesus knew the scriptures, he knew the Old Testament, and so he would have known the Ten Commandments, honour your mother and father. And even though he knows that it's not yet his time, he's still honouring her because this is important to her. And it's a wedding, so weddings are always massive joyous occasions and they're really important to everyone who's there. And so he doesn't want the people to feel disheartened, particularly the bride and groom. So he sees the value in that and he sees why that's important. And I guess that's probably why he chose that to you know, be his moment. That's a really cool observation. And I, I like the way that you've put that there a lot. Yeah, I do. How would you like to read on for us, maybe from verse 10 to verse 11? And he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. And uh, verse 12 just goes on to say, after the wedding, he went to Capernaum for a few days with his mother, with his brothers and his disciples. So there's a bit of just relationship spending time there. But uh, one of the things that people always say to me is, look, it's okay for me to go and get drunk and drink all the time because after all, Jesus drank wine. You can sort of see him providing wine there for that wedding. How do you process that? Do you drink alcohol in your own life? I don't, but just sort of reading that and different translations I've heard and read that In my translation here, it says when the guests have well drunk, as in they've enjoyed good quality food, drink, they've enjoyed it. It's not that they've gone off and abused it and taken advantage of that. To me, that reads that it's within reason. And Sure. You know, for us in our 21st century society, like for us, there's a very clear difference between what's wine and what's juice. You go into a supermarket, they sell stuff that's juice there. And because of the quality control, there's no alcohol in that. We know that. And then you go to a liquor store and you know that you can buy wine, which is alcoholic. But for the ancient world, things weren't as simple as that. And, you know, people squeezed juice and that was new wine. That was considered to be the best type of wine because it was freshly squeezed. In fact, there's a story in, in Genesis where it says that the, the Pharaoh's butler squeezed the grape straight into the cup of Pharaoh, which is juice. It's not obviously not alcoholic. So that was considered to be the best quality. It was fresh and from the freshest grapes. But we know that as alcohol ferments in the juice, that that actually is a process of putrefaction. And the ancients considered that the wine was getting worse as it was getting more alcoholic. And so when he talks about it being the best wine, he's talking about new wine. That Jesus here has actually produced some beautiful, clean, fresh grape juice. And you're exactly right. You know, when it says that they're well drunk, it doesn't mean they all got drunk. But what it's saying is that had enough to drink. And uh, what you can see is that it's a beautiful drink that Jesus has provided. It's what we call a creative miracle where dirty foot water has been transformed into beautiful, fresh uh, grape juice straight from Eden. Mm. I think it's interesting, and I might be jumping the gun a little bit, but it's interesting that it is that dirty foot water idea because then Jesus goes on to have so much to do with water throughout the rest of the Gospels with you know, washing the disciples' feet and getting baptised and whatnot. So water is an important symbol and motif, English teacher in me comes out, that gets repeated and has meaning and is important for us to note as well. Definitely. And, you know, this idea of this the foot washing in particular towards the end of the book of John is so important. It really tells us who Jesus is. And 
The same Jesus that's willing to come down and wash his disciples' feet is the same Jesus that's willing to change dirty water into beautiful drink is the same Jesus that's willing to change your dirty sinful heart and my dirty sinful heart into something beautiful. And that really is the promise as we get into the center of this book. Can I just say, I'll just draw your attention to something right in verse 11. It says, this miraculous sign was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. And what we're going to find in the book of John as it develops is that John doesn't record all of Jesus' miracles that he can remember. What he does is he records seven signs. He uses the word sign or semion in Greek. And what he says at the end of the book is, I can't tell you everything that Jesus did because then the whole world wouldn't fill the books. But he says, I'm just telling you these things so that you might believe. And so he picks out what he considers are the seven because we know the number seven is a symbol of completion and perfection in the Hebrew culture. He picks out seven of, to him, the most important miracles that Jesus did, and he's going to construct his book around these seven signs. And this is the first and one of the most significant. So just a little thing that you may not have noticed there before and is going to become important as we keep going on through the book. Yeah, I think that's great. It's actually interesting. I think I might go and restudy this and uh, add some notes. And it's a good one to look out for. I didn't know that. Thank you. Well, I'll tell you something else, and that is you see Jesus attending here to a wedding, and I think that that teaches us that Jesus, he loves relationships. He loves people being in relationships. And um, he's the one that authored marriage right there at the beginning. And he's uh, definitely supporting it here in this ministry. Well, I tell you what, we're actually at the end of our time now. It's been such a pleasure to study God's word with you, Natalie. Yeah, thank you. It's been a pleasure. I'm just going to say a prayer as we close our time together. Dear Lord Jesus, Lord, you stepped down into this wedding and so you want to step down into our lives too. You changed that water into wine back then, 2000 years ago. And you want to change our hearts, our dirty hearts, into something beautiful today. And so we want to thank you, Lord, for what we're learning from this book. And we ask that your Holy Spirit will change us. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Daniel and Natalie, and this has been Time in the Word on Faith FM. Thank you for listening. 